Well, good day, everybody, and welcome back to the extras. My name is Sam, and I'm James, and uh, it's good to be back. We've had a couple of weeks. It has been a bit of an insane season here at church, so our apologies for not uh, doing the extras the last couple of weeks. But uh, as you can understand, things have been pretty pretty hectic. But it is good <laughs> to be here today, James, and to be working with you on a whole stack of questions that have come out of uh, Matthew chapter twelve from Sunday. Thanks heaps for your work in the scriptures uh, on the weekend. Now, you're preaching through, uh, kicking us off, I guess, in a new series. Uh, we're calling it Death and Glory, which is cool, and the artwork's pretty cool in the that's background. Right, uh, but right. give us a bit of, if, if someone missed it on Sunday, a bit of a recap. Where were our heads in, in Matthew 12? Yeah, so we're in Matthew chapter 12, verses 1 to 21, and we're kicking off the series. We're going to spend the next few months looking at Matthew 12 to 20. And this is a turning point in Matthew's gospel Mm -hmm. where Jesus interacts with the Pharisees uh, and his disciples over some things related to the Sabbath. Mm. And the turning point comes in Matthew 12, 14, when the Pharisees begin to plot Mm. how they might kill Jesus. Um, But what we also saw is that Jesus' death was foretold and his death will bring about these glorious realities of justice and relief and hope. Mm -hmm. And so we thought a bit about, in, in our different services, about how that might apply to our life yep. here and now. Mm, yeah, nice. Well, thank you. And really helpful stuff. Good, good. especially uh, I felt some really helpful application for, for each of us um, on the weekend. So thanks for that work. It was really, really good. Uh, we've got a, a stack of questions. Uh, so we're going we're gonna to hit them hard and fast, uh, see how we go, and uh, we'll, we'll get to most of what came in, I we'll think. We'll see what go. we can do. We'll just see how we go. <laughs> so here we go. Uh, couple of, we'll start with a couple of questions in the text. And if you're at home, you're listening, it um, might be helpful to have Matthew 12 open just to see some of these things in the text. Um, someone sent in uh, a question about uh, some of the words in verse 6 and verse 9. Um, verse 6 speaks of the temple. Uh, verse 9 speaks of the synagogue. Is there any reason why? Jesus sort of uses they're different things obviously um, speaks of those different things was he trying to stress something there a different focus um, any thoughts James oh, I think that it's really that he's referring to two different things here mm-hmm. I mean in verse uh, yeah verse four and uh, sorry five and six he's talking about um, the priests who have a duty to serve in the temple mm-hmm. and there is one temple mm. and it's the one in Jerusalem and that's where David went when yeah, he when he did that right. when he when he ate that bread yep yeah that's right and here in verse 9 he goes into the the synagogue of the Pharisees and Jesus is probably in the regions of, of Galilee here and yeah. he's not in Jerusalem where the temple is so it's yeah. referring to something different yeah that's right and, it's, and it is helpful when you're reading the the gospels just to always to ask the question where, where is Jesus up to geographically and you can see in Matthew 11 at the start of 11 you get a little note that he is up in the northern region around the the, the region of Galilee and that seems to be the case still by chapter 12 um, obviously that's a long way from Jerusalem mm. um, very different end of the country kind of Perth versus Sydney kind of difference <laughs> well actually probably not that far maybe Brisbane versus Sydney kind of dif- distance um and uh, he, you know, and, and at that point, um, they made uh, meeting places for the Jews called the synagogues. Mm. Um, yeah, and that's where Jesus goes in as is his habit to teach. Yeah, yeah. there you go. Yeah. Okay. Uh, now, verse 20, a couple of questions there. Um, verse 20 has this interesting line uh, where it talks about Jesus not breaking a reed uh, or, or a bruised reed uh, until um, he brings justice through to victory, mm. uh, which is an interesting, curious little phrase. Uh, what, what does that mean is one of the questions. What does it mean that uh, to bring justice through to victory in, in verse 20? Yeah, it's a really, really good question. I think that what's going on here is, so in verse 18, this prophecy from Isaiah is saying that this servant will proclaim justice. Mm-hmm. 
And then in verse 20, not only does the servant proclaim justice, but the servant brings justice through mm. the victory. Mm-hmm. I think that that's saying that the servant is going to do something that will bring uh, victory, and in that victory, justice will be brought, which I think is referring to Jesus' death, actually, in its mm-hmm. ultimate fulfillment. I think that what's being said here is that um, the, the victorious act of this servant, which I think is the death and resurrection of Jesus, is the thing that brings justice Mm-hmm. Uh, not just uh, the proclamation of justice by the servant during during his life as well. And so I think that's um, what what's going on there. It's a reference uh, to Jesus' death. Okay. Um, now, uh, verse 20, again, someone's asking, uh, look, look, you explained uh, that Jesus doesn't break a reed because he's gentle and humble. And that they, they're asking, is not the real reason that the day of the Lord is not here yet? Mm, yeah, it's a good question. And the day of the Lord, what, uh, the list, well, not the listener, the, the, the question, question asker. Yeah, the question yeah. asker is probably referring to is that the coming judgment of God. Yeah. Um, and there's a, there's a helpful thing that's being picked up here because in verse 20, Yes, it says, a bruised reed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he will not snuff out. But then there's this curious word that connects it till, or some translations have until, mm. he has brought justice through to victory. Almost yeah. like there's there's an end date to the, the, the gentleness and the humbleness. Yeah. Um, and I think that what is important to say here um, is, you know, we've seen that Jesus is, is gentle and humble in heart. That's Matthew 11, yep. 29. Yep. And you know, the character of Jesus is that he is gentle and humble. But there is an end date to the ability to receive mm. this gentle and humble Savior. Yep. Uh, because what do we see at the cross? Yep. What we see at the cross is that God is absolutely committed to judging oppressors and abusers. He is absolutely committed to dealing justly with sin. Hence he sends his son to the cross to pay for those things. That's right. Yeah. That's right. And and there is an end date to mm. our ability to come to this Savior. Mm. And I think that that's what we also see at the cross. And, you know, we know that there will be a, a final day of the Lord yeah. when Jesus will return and will mm. enact justice um, o- over the whole world. Yeah. And I guess that's possibly, you said before, that um, the, the justice through victory thing is, is the cross. I think it, it is the cross, but also the, the, the day of that's the Lord right. in terms of yes. the return of Christ. I think those are the two key moments of justice yes. um, that God is bringing in terms of salvation history. Uh, the cross is a stamp of the outcome. <laughs> that right. God God will be just, but then the, the, the return is, is the enactment of the, the... Yeah, the ultimate fulfillment of that. that that's yeah. right, of, yes. of that. And, and I think that is that point where... Um, gentle Jesus, meek and mild. Yes. Um, it, it'll be Jesus. You know, Revelation point paints him as the white rider who, yes. who destroys his enemies and those who have not received his mercy. He then stands against them in wrath and fury. That's right. And uh, and at that point, he, he I think the the days of not breaking a, a gentle a bruise a bruise reed yes. uh, are finished because there is mercy for a season. That's right. That's and right. So I guess at that point, the, the implication is. If you haven't yet repented, (laughs) repent because um, the time is short and we don't know when that day will be when Christ returns. That's right. Because you could read this and say, oh, well, I guess I don't ever have to worry about Jesus. Because Jesus is such a softy, he'll always just welcome me in no matter how, you know, um, well, for for, for this age of mercy, yes, Yes, uh, but not, not forever. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I think... uh, 
that'll probably do on verse 20. Um, there's another question here about um, the context of this whole chunk in chapter 12 is that Jesus is talking about uh, an instance where David apparently broke the law. Mm. Um, and, and a couple of questions on this saying, look, is it therefore okay to break the law and if so how do we tell which laws are absolute and which ones are not and then how do we you know approach that whole issue did okay so let's start with the first question did david break a law here when he when he ate this bread on the sabbath yeah i I think that what jesus is showing is that what um if you have a very surface reading Mm -hmm. of the law then yes Mm mm-hmm However, I think what Jesus is doing here is he's actually showing uh, that uh, ultimately the answer is no. He was innocent in what he did. He Mm -hmm. didn't do anything wrong. And why is that? Yeah, well, I think that there there is a a higher priority here Mm -hmm. of mercy over sacrifice, Mm -hmm. of of the fact that what God has a concern for... um, at least in, in David's story, was actually satisfying the hunger yeah. of David and his companions. And yes. he was the anointed, yet-to-be-inaugurated king. Yeah, that's right. That's right. So, and I guess that, that's a good principle, I guess, here. And, and perhaps it's a principle that Jesus actually shows us quite a bit in the New Testament, which is, I mean, the Sermon on the Mount's a good example of this. Mm. Time after time in that, Jesus says, you've heard it said, mm. but I tell you. Now, what he's doing there, he's not breaking the law and saying, see, Ten Commandments yeah, that's don't right. matter anymore. He's actually saying, let me show you God's heart behind that commandment. Mm. Um, and and, and uh, God's heart is not just that you wouldn't um, you know, commit adultery, but that you wouldn't even look lustfully. You know, mm. God, God's, and Jesus helpfully takes us to the heart of the commandment. Yes. And I take it something similar is going here. And David, like Jesus, understood God's heart, which is, look, the bread is, is, is better to be eaten because uh, mm. God cares about hungry uh, people. cares about his Messiah more so than... Yes. Yeah. But, um, is, is that... I think so, yeah. And I think what you've helpfully picked up there is that um, with, with the law, what we can do is we can just read a set of commands and think, all right, cool, I know that mm. what I need to do. But we can forget the God who gave us those laws. Yeah, yeah. We can forget that we have a gentle and loving and... and a caring father mm. who gives us uh, all good things and there was a purpose and reason behind these laws as well. Yep, yep. nice. Okay, uh, l- let's push on then. Did you say, I love when questions start with this, did you say, uh, <laughs> did you say that we're now free from the principles of the Sabbath? Um, don't the principles of God being in charge, still being the provider, still apply? And also the reminder of the Sabbath beyond our lives here exists. Would not practicing a Sabbath today be still immensely helpful even if we don't apply it legalistically? Good question. Yeah, really good question. And there's so much packed into there. Yeah. So to answer the first part, I I, I did say that Mm -hmm. there is a sense in which this side of the cross, we are now free from the principle Mm -hmm. of the Sabbath, the six and one. Mm-hmm. But let me sort of run us through a bit more of that and, and sort of the thinking that would go sure. behind Yeah, help, help us think it through. So we know from Genesis 1 and 2 that the principle of the Sabbath of the 6 and 1 is actually built into the fabric of creation. Yep. The fact that God created on six days and, and, and rested on the seventh. Yep. And so there is a, a something to the rhythms and cycles mm. of our time and our creatureliness that yep. 
you know what? We, we need rest. We're not made, nor is the rest of the world made to go on, on every day. Yeah, that's right. And more yeah. than just humans, but animals yeah. and the land. You yeah. can't just work animals. You can't just work the land. That's right. Uh, to, you know, and, and say, oh, you just have to fulfill mm. uh, whatever we need, whenever we want it. You can't rest. That's it just right. doesn't work that you way. You need a day off. The world needs a day off. That's, that's right. just how God's made it. Yeah, that's right. Yep. And then when this principle of the Sabbath is, is given to... Um, uh, through Moses uh, in, in the giving of the law. It's kind of codified in the law, isn't it? That's right, Exodus 20 to yep. 23 and, and more. Yep. Uh, we see that it's a sign and symbol of the old covenant. Yep. What we see with Jesus is that Jesus reappropriates it and says, no, mm. actually, you want Sabbath, you come to me. Yeah. And in fact, now what we see is on, on this side of the cross, we're actually waiting for a future sabbath rest to come which uh-huh. the writer of hebrews picks up on does yeah kind of thinks he thinks sabbath a di- slightly from a different angle doesn't it that's right that's right and so with hebrews you know what, what the writer of hebrews is trying to encourage the christians to to stay committed to christ even in the midst of hardship even mm-hmm. in the midst of of suffering even in the midst of pressures that might take them away mm. but what he says to them you know hebrews chapter 3 Verse 12 is, see to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has mm. a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God. Yeah. And yep. encourage one another daily. Yeah. As, daily. As long no as day offs. That's right. That's right. <laughs> daily, daily. Not six days and, and you yeah. know, one. Um, as long as it is called today so that none of you mm. may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Then mm. a bit later in chapter 4, verse 1, he's saying, there's, since the promise of entering his rest still stands, let us be careful that none of you yeah. be found to have fallen short of it. Yeah. So there's still this future rest to yes. come, yep. which he says very clearly then in chapter 4, verse 9, there remains then a Sabbath rest for the people of God. Yeah. Still to come. Yeah. So we're caught in this tension, aren't we? There is. We live in, in between. Yeah. Yeah. Genesis 1 and 2, Sabbath, yep. the rhythms of of rest and work yep. and time yep. god is still god over all of that and yep. we are still finite creatures that's right we do need a break that's right and yet there's still hebrews 3 and 4 we see that there is a future rest the sabbath rest to come and now in the midst of that we're still called to work and mm. to encourage mm. and to make sure that we don't fall short of that final rest uh, yeah. when Jesus returns. Yeah. And so I guess in terms of our practice then, let's try and land that plane a little bit because that's helpful to lay the theological kind of framework for us and the tension that we live within as Christians in yes. the New Testament. What, what do we do? Like how do I think about um, the rhythm of my week? Yes. And how, how, what, what, kind of, what kind of principles should I, I bring to that? Yeah. Well, I guess if we're thinking about the fact that Jesus is the Lord of the Sabbath, yep. Jesus is the Lord of our time and our land and our work and our rest, yeah. I think it's worth asking, well, where are we directing our efforts? Where yeah. are we directing our work and our time? Yeah. And where are we directing our creaturely rest? Because we need it. Yeah. We can't just run ourselves dry and think that we can, we're above, <laughs> mm. you know, uh, we don't need to, we're not obligated to keep this six and one now. So therefore, we, let's just work seven days and never rest at all. Yep. Look, it's just that future thing to come. Yeah. Um, we're going to run ourselves dry and we're going to burn ourselves out. Mm. Uh, and yet, if we also th- keep in mind that we have this future rest to come, it would also be a mistake for us to say, you know what, 
I don't need to care about encouraging others. I don't mm. need to care about living mercifully and doing good. Yep. Uh, because, uh, you know, I just want to do my own thing and care mm. about myself. No, actually, while we wait, we still have a task to do, which is to keep doing good and to keep encouraging. Yeah. Yep. And so how you work that out in your life, I think it's unique to each person. Mm. Uh, given your uh, priorities, given re- responsibilities you have, but mm. you need to have both. Mm. You need to remember your finiteness yep. and understand that God has wired us and made us and made the world a particular way. Yep. And you have to have that commitment to going, let's together get to that final Sabbath mm. rest. And there is something, I think there's something to that in that as a Christian, some of the things that are actually refreshing, are not. it's not as simple as just sleep in and... Do you know what I mean? Watch some YouTube and chill out. Sometimes your body needs that. Yes. But there's something about actually being amongst Christian fellowship and being revived and having some, you know, getting some zeal back for your faith, coming to church, you know, that kind of thing, which sometimes might feel like a bit of of work sometimes, especially, (laughs) you know, like 10 minutes before you're supposed to leave, you're thinking, oh... Uh, but but actually, that is, there's a there's a different kind of refreshing that yes. is actually from serving, and, yes. it's, and it's that it's that thing that Jesus speaks of. You know, come to me, you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Um, take my yoke upon you. Know, actually, yes. do some pulling. Yes. Because um, there's there's this weird kind of uh, kind of rest yes. in, in serving and, and doing things for Christ. I had I had a great chat with someone after afternoon church, and he yeah. was saying to me, James, I realised that when we were in lockdown. I was never sleeping better. Mm. I, I, there was never a time when I had less on my calendar. Yeah. And yet I felt so drained. I was tired and drained, 100%. Because I wasn't yeah. being encouraged. Yeah, I wasn't right. serving. I wasn't with God's people. Right. This is, And I was so encouraged that by that brother of mine who shared that with me after afternoon church. And I was like, you're right. I, I got... I got more sleep than I have in a while. That's right. And yet, there was something draining about that, which shows us that rest, as God sees it, is more than just doing nothing. Doing 100%. It's it's far more than that. I think it's living mercifully and doing good in our creatureliness. Yeah, very good, mate. Thank you. Um, All right, a couple of questions on this topic that we'll just try and move through a little quicker. Um, But any tips for someone struggling with work slash spiritual burnout at the moment? Thanks. I think it's remembering those two things. Remembering those two First things. of all yep. is to actually think about how you're taking care of yourself and your rest. Yep. Yep. Um, uh, taking time away from things. Do you have some sort of rhythm and cycle or are you always on? Mm. I, I think you know one helpful tip on that is you know, do you have all your notifications on all the time? Yeah, because, yeah that's right. You know, there used to be some sort of a balance where you know you leave your work at work and you come home. But now, like you know, emails yeah. just come through all the time. Yep. Maybe having some sort of boundaries might be helpful. Yeah. And also, how do you think about what you're doing with your efforts and your time? Do you see it as living mercifully and doing good? Yeah. Do you think about coming to church as another chore? Or do you see it as a time of encouragement yeah. and refreshment? Yeah. service how you think about that as well um, mm. I think I think that a lot of burnout comes to our perception of what we're doing mm. you know you can be so tired but if you think and see that what you're doing is meaningful yep it totally changes the way you think about your fatigue mm. so maybe orienting and thinking about well why are you doing what you're doing mm. yeah nice um, I guess one, one last thing I'd say as well is note Hebrews um, emphasis seems to be on each other yeah. so one of the things that we can often do with this question is say what do I now have to do to keep myself spiritually yes. you know if I'm struggling with spiritual burnout I now have to solve that for myself yes. actually Hebrews lays that on each other Yeah, um, nice. so, so the main thing you actually need if you are struggling with spiritual burnout is you actually 
um, need need some buddies. Yeah, <laughs> and, uh, and I'd say if you are in that space, step number one for me would be tell someone. Yeah, and uh, and ask even ask could would they mind encouraging you because yeah, you feel nice. like you need some encouragement. So set up a time with someone to, to read the scriptures, even if it's just once a week or something like that. Just get together for half an hour read the scriptures, pray together. That does wonders for your soul when you're with someone else. So there's something in that as well. Mm. Okay, we're going to move on from rest. Uh, and uh, a bigger question, I guess, um, in light of all this, um, uh, you were talking about the, the temple and sacrifice, sacrificial system and stuff like that um, on Sunday. And there's a question to that end, which is that if uh, God desires mercy and not sacrifice and, and he is Lord of all time, then why does he not have mercy on Israel and kind of do away with that whole sacrificial system? Um, why do we need an old covenant and a new covenant? Why don't we just get one covenant for all time? Come on, God, just be a bit more efficient with the whole thing, please. <laughs> yeah, no, that's, it's, it's a really, really good question. I think there are a few things we could say to that. The mm-hmm. first one is that, you know, there's this thing that um, uh, we, we talk about in theology, theologians talk about, which is progressive revelation. Yeah, nice. This yep. idea that God progressively reveals himself. Mm-hmm. You know, if Jesus had no setup and just, you know, showed up, yep. there's a sense in which, you know, there'd be no Jewish people and they'd be like, who's this guy? What yep. is he on about? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and he would have died. He'd be like, so what? Yeah, that's right. That's yeah. right. Yeah. But what God has given us actually in the Old Testament is a whole bunch of um, images and pictures and, and story that actually leads up to Jesus so we can see that yeah. no, this was God's plan that unfolded over time. We make sense of the work of Christ in light of it. That's right, that's right. Mm-hmm. And in fact, that's part of what I think Paul gets at in Colossians chapter 2. In Colossians chapter 2, uh, verse 16 and 17, he says that the things like Sabbath were a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Mm they're all pointing to Jesus and they're all setting up the fact that Jesus was coming. Um, But I think the second thing you'd want to say is that, well, if you actually look at the way the New Testament reflects on the Old Testament, Mm -hmm. places like Hebrews 11 and and Romans chapter 4, where, in fact, Abraham, how was he saved? How was he justified? Mm. It wasn't through a sacrificial system. Mm -hmm. It was through faith. Mm. And so even though we have, yeah, all these... um, there were several uh, covenants in the Old Testament, and we have our new covenant. It's always been a gracious act of God. He's mm. always been merciful. It's always mm. been by faith yeah. that people are saved. So, so in one sense, it really is one one overarching work of God mm. behind both covenants. Mm. Um, and the first is a shadow of the second. Mm. Um, but it's part of God's grace that he that He reveals it in the order that he does, such that we, we who live now in the fulfillment of the ages can fully understand yes. all that God has done. But God has always been saving people by faith. That's it. That's yeah. It. All right. We're moving towards the end here, James. Uh, we've got a couple of questions about justice um, and mercy, uh, I guess, kind of tied in with politics. Now, you spoke to politics in, in one of the services, not all of them. Um, uh, but, yeah, let's sort of start with it. Look, one of the big ideas is that God desires justice. That's one of the ideas of this passage, particularly for the vulnerable. Mm. Um, lots of stuff going on with justice in our world at the moment. Um Racial justice is sort of come to the fore yeah. in, in big ways. Um, 
how do we, I guess, we're waiting for Jesus to, to bring justice ultimately. Yeah. Uh, that's what verse 20 and 21 says, as, as per our questioner here. Um, but they're asking, what, what are some helpful ways for Christians to prioritise justice for the vulnerable, perhaps especially in our Australian context? Mm, yeah, really, really good question. I think it's helpful to clarify that when talking about politics, uh, we're not just thinking about um, who you vote for, or uh, you know what 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 party if, if you're a politician that you belong mm. to, but politics really I, I think I'm defining it, and I think it's helpful for us to think of politics as the way that we uh, organize ourselves and relate and interact as as citizens mm. um, of a society. Mm. And so as Christians, well, actually, there's there's a lot that we would want to say about how we're meant to organize ourselves and yeah, relate yeah, yeah, and yeah. interact. Yep with each other yep. um, beyond just who you vote for, which mm-hmm. is important. Yep. And if you do get involved uh, in, in politics as a politician, yep. which we would want you know, people to consider as well. Sure. Yep. In terms of answering this question, what are some helpful ways for Christians to prioritize justice? Yeah. Well, I, th- I think uh, three sorts of broad things that we might be able to say as we wait for Jesus to return yep. and enact you know, an, an ultimate eternal justice. Mm. I think the first thing is we know from places like 1 Timothy chapter 2 that, well, we're called to pray for all those who are in authority. Prayer is crucial because we understand that we have imperfect rulers over an imperfect world, and so we should pray um, for all those in authority. Yep. Um, I think that's that's the first thing. Mm. As well. And that's a worth saying because if you've said more on social media about justice than you've said in your prayers, mm. there's a there's a very unchristian thing going on there, yeah. isn't there? That's right. That's right. And also, it uh, perhaps it has an overinflated sense of how effective mm. that will be because God is the one who can. That's right. Bring justice. If you want to see justice brought, pray because yes. who's really in control? That's right. That's yeah. right. So the first thing I'd say is is pray. Don't underestimate that. That's right. Yep. Second thing. So from places like Romans thirteen, we understand that we want to submit to our governing authorities, mm-hmm. and as a democratic society, part of the privileges we have and our governing authorities have granted us mm. is the privilege of being able to lobby yes. and to interact with with our, with our members, local and federal, with our parliamentarians, mm. to be able to write and, and to speak. And so I think that we want to use the privileges that we have as our democratic society to lobby, yep. to, to, to make our voices heard when we see that there are injustices and to push and advocate for greater justice mm. in our society here and now. Yep. Now, we may disagree on how that happens, mm. but we certainly don't disagree on the fact that we need justice for all, including racial justice as mm. well. Mm-hmm. So the second thing is lobby. Yep. Third thing I'd want to say is that, well, James chapter 1, um, at the very end, yep. he says that true religion is this, that a true religion that pleases our Father is this, uh, to, to care for the orphans, to mm. care for the poor uh, and and the widows. Yep. And in fact, I think that's a really crucial thing as well, that if we're thinking about politics more than just how you vote or if you're a, a, a politician, how we relate and act as citizens mm. and as citizens of God's kingdom, no less, mm. actually says a huge amount. And so if we want to care about racial justice, if we want to care about justice and the vulnerable, think about what you can be doing, mm. how you can be acting, you know, there's a lot that can be said, for example, for the fact that uh, we as a church really do value our partnership with compassion yep. and sponsoring 
um, the care uh, and the nurturing of children mm. in less fortunate positions. Yep. Maybe uh, sponsoring a, a compassion child is, is something that you can be doing mm. as well. Uh, but that's my quick answer to this. Um, yeah. Pray, lobby, yep. and think about how you can live justly yeah. in your life. And I, I like that last one because it actually says that you have some sense of a, of a responsibility for what you can do in the part of the world that you, in, that mm. you occupy rather than simply kind of calling out for others out there to do something about this you, you actually have an ability to say something and do something in your, yeah, own, that's in, right. in your own world so all right let's move on to our last question um uh, actually so there's, there's two here um about um uh politics um uh your your comments about politics trouble me a bit Okay. Uh, okay. And then they've said that the state of politics generally worries me. It seems to me that the natural conclusion of your comments about the left or the right of politics is that there is not a place for Christians in politics. Have I misunderstood? For what it's worth, I don't want to be a politician. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh, really, really good question. So I think that, so this is particularly for Night Church when I was speaking mm. a bit about um, how. Christians can't wholesale adopt a particular mm. political mm. viewpoint and say that everything works with that. Well, I think let's think about Jesus for a second. Mm. Uh, like, let's think about the example of Jesus because yep. would Jesus fit? Well, where would Jesus fit? On the, on the spectrum. Yeah, that's right, on the political spectrum, yeah, yeah, right? Because yeah, yeah. yep. I'll tell you what, Jesus is not very moderate on many things. Mm. Jesus is, has a clear sense of what he believes and, and what he stands for. Well, let's think about the, the right wing of politics for a second. You know, the right wing might want to say, yeah, well, you know, Jesus, uh, we, we, we take Jesus, he's ours. Mm. Uh, and there are some things that perhaps would fit very nicely uh, mm-hmm. in, that, in that spectrum. So, for example, the fact that Jesus um, has a very clear sense of what God's design for marriage is. Yeah. Uh, Jesus has a very clear sense on um, uh, on the fact that uh, f- we each have individual responsibility for our actions, mm. uh, and and we will bear that cost in mm. the day of judgment as well. So yep. Yep. so that might be um, one way. But and yet on the same time, the the, the left wing view of politics might say, well, actually, Jesus has concern for the vulnerable and the poor, mm. uh, for, for the refugee and yep. the foreigner. He was one. Yeah, he was one. That's right. Matthew sure. chapter two. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah. And, and, and where does Jesus fit? I think what we see is he doesn't neatly fit that's anywhere. Right. Yeah, that's it. And so I think we'd want to say, no, the, in terms of that um, way of seeing things, Christians won't neatly fit anywhere. Yeah. Now, we will... In order to get things done, we may need to park ourselves somewhere and say, look, to get things done, mm. we need to vote this way or lobby this way or interact this way. Yep. But we will disagree over the how, we mm. will not disagree over the what. Mm. And the what is set for us by the kingdom of heaven yeah, that's and right. the priorities of God. Yep. Yep. And so that's where, as Christians, we should get involved with politics in order to discuss the how mm. and in order to think about how... God is working in the world here and mm. now. Uh, but we can't just wholesale adopt a viewpoint of politics and say that's the Christian way of doing mm. things. Yeah, that's right. So, yeah, it, it, my political party is not the Christian party. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and that is true to both sides. And, that's and, right. And uh, you can really see, I mean, I can see on my social media feed that some people would argue that the left side of politics is the only Christian way, mm. while others would say that the right side is the only Christian way. So, and you can't be a Christian if you vote yeah, for yeah, one if side. If you voted for them, you yes. clearly aren't a Christian. That's right. Um, and I think that is, that, that's folly. Um, mm. It's just not correct. And it's not that simple. 
people. Um, That's right. It is difficult. And I guess in, in the world of ethics, we, we, we sort of we have to think through, well, there might be things about a particular way of uh, a way a political party operates, um, but because of my views on this particular issue, I, I'm going to vote this way, even though it's not perfect. Mm. Uh, or on the other side, yeah. And, and each Christian's got to think through um, their own responsibility. That's right. And can I say, just to finish um, that our unity in the end isn't in our political viewpoint yeah. on, on how these uh, priorities will be enacted. Mm. It's actually in Christ. Mm. And we have to, re- I, I think that there's just such a great thing to say that at St. Paul's, I know that we've got people who are on all sorts of places on the political spectrum and yep. yet we're united in Christ. Yeah. We're brothers and sisters in him. Yeah, that's right. And that's, that's our greater unity and, and that's okay. That's right. Yeah. Very good, James. I think we'll leave it there for today. Uh, thanks for all your work. Uh, this coming Sunday, we're carrying on Matthew... Uh, Matthew 12 and yep. the second half of chapter 12. Yep. And uh, Jack's going to be bringing God's Word. Excellent. So looking forward to that. And so, uh, yeah, hopefully we'll see you if you're listening. Uh, we'll see you uh, face-to-face on Sunday. That'd be great. North Rocks are here in the morning and then the other services all day. Otherwise, uh, we'll see you online. That's right, on the live stream. All right. Thank you, James. Thanks, Sam. Bye. Bye.